Thanks, Catherine. Let's come before the Lord in prayer before we begin. Hey? Heavenly Father, thank you for, for our time together. Thank you for the, the chance that we have to come and worship you. And, and more than that, the chance that we have to come and, and feed around your word and, and come around your communion table and, and be reminded of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Lord, I pray that as, as we look at this passage that you would help us to understand it with new eyes and, and ears and, Lord, that you would help me to communicate that clearly as well. In your name, amen. You might be wondering, what the heck is the communion table doing on the stage? It's usually over there. I saw this on a Francis Chan um, sermon a couple of weeks ago, a podcast, and he'd moved the the communion table from the side of the church and moved it into the centre. And he wanted to symbolise the centrality or centredness of, of the communion table. I love making up words in my sermons. The centrality of the communion table. It's, it's not just a side note. It's something that is central to our faith, central to our message, central to our mission, central to our meeting tonight. And so that's what I want to kind of try and communicate with you. Um, but we're talking about Jonathan, our unlikely hero tonight. And in order to understand this random passage and understand what's going on in this passage tonight, I think it's... it's I. Not ideal. It's essential to go back and, and have a bit of a look at the background to the story. It's a bit of a, a home and away or days of our lives kind of story with four um, fairly significant characters. The first of them is Saul, Jonathan's dad. And the second is Jonathan, of course, and then David, and then, and then Samuel is, is our prophet earlier on in the story as well. And it goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 where Saul is anointed as the first king over Israel. He's anointed and, and proclaimed as the king over Israel and, and that changes Israel's history forever. Then in chapter 12, Samuel uh, bids farewell as their last judge and prophet. He, he basically um, says... You've got a king now, you don't need me anymore. But he leaves with the, the, the warning um, that they need to follow God first and foremost. If, they, if the people and their king don't follow God and his decrees, then they'll be swept up and, and just taken away. Chapter 13. Our humanness comes into play. Saul, the king, anointed by God, sins and basically tries to appease the people, playing politics, trying to keep his votes and his, and his position over following God's decrees. He mucks it up. He ruins it for everyone. And chapter 15, the Lord rejects Saul. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Chapter 10, new king. Chapter 15, 
No, you're gone. Sorry. But further on in our story, chapter 16, David's actually secretly anointed as king. And he serves in Saul's courts. The irony of it, hey? He, David, our, our secondary hero, cares for his father's sheep. He does two part-time jobs. He cares for his father's sheep on the side and then comes and serves in Saul's courts. Chapter 17, David defeats Goliath. We may have heard this in, in Sunday school. Chapter 18, David and Jonathan become excellent friends, the best of mates. And Jonathan is actually Saul's son. The king over Israel, he's Saul's son, friends, best friends with the guy who's potentially going to take his throne. And so, of, of course, Saul becomes jealous of David. But Saul devises a, a devious little plan to try and eliminate David out of the picture. He gives him his daughter. I, it's not Michael, it's Michal, I think. Uh, it would be weird if it was Michael, wouldn't it? But he, he gives him his daughter. And the, and the best thing for David to continue to do was to fight the Philistines as he served in, in Saul's courts. So Saul was hoping that, that David would continue to, to fight the Philistines and, and then just get eliminated by, um, by the Philistines in war. But this didn't happen. So chapter 19, Saul takes matters into his own hands and tries to kill David. Actually throws a spear at him just in the same way that he does at Jonathan. But Jonathan warns David, and there's a bit of toing and froing of, of Jonathan convincing Saul to leave him alone. And Saul sort of, okay, but then he tries to throw a spear at both of them. And David escapes. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 20, where, where David is kind of in hiding, and Jonathan is, is about to warn him of of um, well they've devised a plan to communicate of whether whether or not Saul tries to still or plans to still kill him are you following me all right good so I just want to read a little bit of the early stages of chapter 20 18 to 23 verses 18 to 23 then Jonathan said to him tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. That's the seat at Saul's table. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them, then you are to come. That's David. David is to come. Uh, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you. Sorry. Look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, 
Behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So this brings us up to date in the, in the story. We see the, the drama unfolding before, before us of the moment where David is informed that his life is still in danger. But we also see that, that Jonathan is, is standing by him as a true mate would. Jonathan does a couple of different things. He, in this passage, he, he actually disobeys his father in order to protect David. He lays his life on the line. He's almost, almost killed by his father. And he wants to protect David. And we all know that someone who, who tries to do something that's against the command of a king can be charged with treason, can't they? They can be called a traitor. And in Jonathan's day, traitors were generally either banished or killed straight up. So Jonathan is, is risking this by remaining loyal to David. And have a look at how angry Saul was. In the first couple of verses of our passage, then Saul's anger was kindled against him, verse 30, against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall so surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. You know you're in trouble when your mum calls you by your full name, don't you? And so you know you're in trouble when a king calls you the son of Jesse. He couldn't even call him by his first name anymore. This is a, a boy who had served in his courts, who had rescued him from the Philistines time and time again, who was his son-in-law. And yet he was that angry that he was calling him the son of Jesse. Jonathan is, is Saul's son, which makes him the prince of Israel, doesn't it? Which means when Saul dies, he has the right to assume the throne of Israel. So not only is Jonathan laying his life on the line, potentially being killed by Saul, he's laying his friendship or relationship with his father on the line, but he's also risking his potential um, kingship the throne that, that he had over the nation of Israel. And Saul is saying that Jonathan, that David has to, not Jonathan, David has to die in order for Jonathan to be king. But Jonathan sees things differently. He, he looks at it in a different light. He doesn't see his life or his kingship, 
or his relationship with his father is more important than anything else. He sees that it's more important to do what is right in God's eyes and to sacrifice the pleasures of this earth, sacrifice the things of this earth rather than disobey God. Did I say that right? Nod, yes. He's willing to sacrifice the potential for him to be king. He's willing to sacrifice his, his father's relationship, or relationship with his father. He's willing to sacrifice what's been thought of him, of him by other people. He's willing to lay his life on the line in order to do God's will. And this is what makes Jonathan our unlikely hero, is that he's willing to sacrifice everything in order to do God's will. You might think that sacrifice is, is laying something down, like giving something up that's, that's pretty good in order to get something that's half as good. True sacrifice is not that. True sacrifice is, is laying something down or giving something up in order to obtain something that is far better. And that far better thing may take a long time to be realised or revealed or, or to be given to you. And Jonathan was ready to sacrifice the earthly things for the sake of something better. He was willing to give up those things that I've talked about, those four things, in order for, for God's kingdom to be established. I want to tell you a story about John and Betty Stam, or Elizabeth Stam. They lived in the early 1900s. They were new missionaries to, the, to remote China with their three-month-old daughter, Helen. And one day, the town's official came to them and, and said, look, the communists are coming for you. So the Stams prepared to leave. However, the, the, the communists ended up coming up and catching up to the Stams and they demanded all the money that they had. All the money that the, the Stams had were, was handed over and they were, they were arrested for being Christians. And that night, John Stam wrote a letter to the Chinese inland mission. But it was never delivered. The letter was later found within some of baby Helen's clothes. It stated that the Stams were being held by the communists for a ransom of $20,000, which in the 1930s would have been a fair sum. John Stam wrote to the mission authorities of how he and his wife had been captured but he wrote the words from Philippians 1 verse 20. May Christ be glorified whether by life or death. John, Betty and Helen were, were taken to the local prison where some of the prisoners were even removed to make room for, for the stamps. And the next morning they were forced to march 
12 miles with the soldiers to a town of Maushu. As John and Betty were being marched down the street of Maushu to meet their deaths, to go to their execution, curious onlookers lined both sides of the street. A Chinese shopkeeper stepped out of the crowd and, and tried to communicate with the, the communists, tried to, to convince them not to kill the stamps. But the soldiers ordered him back into the line. But when he wouldn't step back, he was then arrested on the charge of being a Christian as well. They invaded his home and, and searched for, for things and found a, a Bible and a hymn book. And after marching a short while longer, John Stan was ordered to kneel and he was beheaded. His wife and the shopkeeper were killed moments later. But baby Helen was not killed. She was actually saved by the life of one of the prisoners who had just been released. He asked, why should the soldiers... He asked the soldiers why they should kill the innocent baby. And the soldiers turned to him and asked if he was willing to die for the foreign baby. Before the stams were killed, he was actually killed in front of their eyes and some of his blood splashed onto the little baby. She was actually nicknamed the Blood Baby of China. Why do I tell you this? Well, the stams sacrificed a lot. They, they sacrificed a lot to go to a, a foreign country. They sacrificed a lot to be called Christians in a foreign country. They, they sacrificed their lives for the sake of their faith. And I could tell you more stories about missionaries from, from years gone by or even Christians in the Middle East who have been killed for their faith as well. But when we talk about sacrifice, we're not talking about just little itty-bitty things. When we look at Jonathan and his sacrifice of the right to the throne of Israel for the sake of God's kingdom... When we look at the, the fact that he was willing to lay his life on the line, we see that this is real sacrifice. What makes someone step in, what makes a prisoner step in for the innocence of a child and place their life on the line? What makes Christians go to a foreign country for the sake of God's good name? What makes Christians hold on to their faith for the sake of God's good name? It's sacrifice. Sacrificing the things of this world in order to obtain heavenly things. Jonathan knew that God's kingdom was far more important than his kingdom. Jonathan was willing to sacrifice this earthly kingdom for the sake of God's kingdom. And again, Christians all over the world today, and I'm sure tomorrow and, and yesterday, have laid their lives on the line, some physically, some figuratively, 
because they know they know that there's been a sacrifice made for them that is far greater than their lives they know because of this sacrifice they can have peace with God they know because of this sacrifice that Jesus made for their sakes in order to bring them to God is far greater than their lives and therefore they're willing to lay their lives on the line because of this sacrifice they know that there is something far greater than what this world has to offer I'm not just talking about the beauty of heaven that will be amazing but I'm talking about the life that Jesus brings for us now the mission that we have now to continue on from Philippians 1 verse 21 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain pull yourself together Paul is saying that that this life is nothing in comparison to what is to come but that while he lives he will be about God's business he will sacrifice the things of this world the fame and the fortune that might come he will sacrifice that in order to do Christ's mission and in a minute we're going to come around this communion table to remember this very sacrifice that was made on our behalf to to bring us to God to enable us to have peace with God and on top of that be clothed with righteousness to be called sons of God sons and daughters of God and I want to ask you if if there's anything that you need to to sacrifice metaphorically tonight if there's something that, that is taking your focus away from God's kingdom do you need to sacrifice that do you need to lay that down in order to obtain something greater God was willing to sacrifice a very good thing, his son, in order for us to be able to see his glory. In order for us to be able to see his glory, he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son. And God saw you as worthy of being, of being, of of giving up His Son for you. In 1961, John F. Kennedy said these words in his swearing-in speech. He said, "Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country." might seem a random quote at the end of this message but I want you to think about what you can do for God 
what you can, can give up for the sake of obtaining more of God. I don't want you to be asking what God can do for you, but I want you to ask what you can do for God because it's all been done for you. 100%. It's done. The ultimate sacrifice has been made for your sake to be able to see God's glory. So I want you to think about the things that you can sacrifice for the sake of making God's name great. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. Jesus is with his disciples in the, in the upper room and he initiates the, the Lord's Supper. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of it again, drink again of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If the communion stewards can come forward. That same day, basically, 12 hours or 24 hours later, Jesus was betrayed, he prayed, he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross, and he bled and died for your sake. This bread symbolizes his body that was broken to bring you to God and this juice symbolizes the blood that would have poured down his brow the blood that poured from his side the blood that poured from every part of his body as it was beaten The blood that stained the ground under the cross. And the same blood that washes you clean of your sins. But that's not where it ends. We all know that he was resurrected on the third day. And that is how we can have life with Jesus. That is how we can live life with Jesus, knowing that he is washed us clean of our sins and was resurrected to give us life. What are you going to lay down? What are you going to sacrifice now that everything has been done for you? I want you to hang on to the bread and the juice and if it's, if it's at all possible, please let's eat and drink together as a family.
Jesus' body broken for you again and the the blood that washes you clean from your sins and enables us to see God's glory. Would you take and eat with me? Father, 
I thank you for the the enormity of the the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we may see your glory and Lord in light of that sacrifice I ask that you would show us the things that are getting in the way of our relationship with you these earthly things that we can can so easily be attracted to or these earthly things that can shadow you Lord help them to pale in comparison to your glory to your kingdom Lord reveal yourself to us anew each day and help us to sacrifice or to be willing to sacrifice anything in order to have more of you because you were willing to to sacrifice your son for our sake Lord I pray that that there wouldn't be anything that that gets in the way of our, our relationship with you Lord that we would be so focused in on on seeing your glory in every aspect of our lives that Lord that again it would would just overshadow those things of this earth help us to share that with others as well Lord I thank you that you paid it all that we don't have to try and earn your forgiveness or, or earn our way into heaven Lord that you have, have made a way Help us to live in light of that. Jesus, we thank you. In your precious name. Amen. Please just hand your um, glasses to the, to the end of the aisles and the, the stewards will come around and collect them. Our service tonight um, by standing and singing a song just that simply says thanks. Thanks to Jesus for all that he's done for us.